You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we return to the monthly series, City Farming. We'll discuss designing urban agriculture space and how it has created awareness and built community in a flourishing food system. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Cheyenne Sundance, Farm Director at Sundance Harvest. Welcome, Cheyenne. Thanks for having me. It's my sincere pleasure. We're really happy to have you here. Can you please tell us a little bit about Sundance Harvest, what it is and what you do? Uh, Great. So Sundance Harvest is a year-round vegetable farm located in north of Toronto, so in Downsview Park, which is a fairly large park that's dedicated to many different things. And a part of that park is designated for urban agriculture. So I farm about one-third of an acre, and I'll be expanding next year of land at the park, which is really fun. And by year-round agriculture, I utilize things like greenhouses and row covers and caterpillar tunnels. So in the summer, I grow things such as tomatoes and peppers. And in the winter, I grow other things such as carrots, beets, kale, radish, lettuce, and all the other type of winter uh, vegetables that you can imagine. So that's really what Sundance Harvest does. And what I also do at Sundance Harvest is I try to have programming because I know that urban farming is kind of a rare thing to find and a lot of youth who would like to have a career in agriculture don't often have the availability to you know go out into Guelph and work on a farm maybe they don't have a car maybe they need to stay in the city with their family so I run a program called Growing in the Margins under Sundance Harvest and Growing in the Margins happens three times a year in the fall the winter and the spring and it's a program for youth aged 18 to 25 who face marginalizations in the food system so oftentimes youth that are by a black indigenous and persons of color, youth with disabilities, etc. And these youth spend um, 12 weeks with me and they learn everything that they need to know about farming. So how to start great seedlings, how to compost, how to market your business, or even really fun field trips we take all across the city to many different other urban farms where they get to know and network with other people in the industry. So Sundance Harvest grows vegetables and also helps run a program called Growing in the Margins three times a year. Growing in the Margins, that sounds like a great idea. And people can find out more about that on your website, sundanceharvest.com. And what a wonderful opportunity for people to see a a future for themselves in a booming industry, agri-food. And when you had said how to launch your business, market your business as owners, it's really a great, well-rounded program and how wonderful that you support youth in that way. So Sundance Harvest is an ecological urban farm and what's that mean? So with growing food, the biggest thing I really want to focus on is to do it in right relations with the land. With ecological farming, I kind of go with the most common definition is that I farm as close to nature as possible. So for example, in the springtime, flea beetles are a very annoying pest that tends to eat our brassicas and they put little tiny holes in them. Instead of spraying the flea beetles with the pesticide that probably isn't safe for waterways. And I use something called a row cover, which is a physical deterrent. It basically looks like tool um, from a ballerina's tutu, that kind of texture. And I put that over the crop. So that way I can protect the crop from flea beetle damage, but I also don't have to spray and that pesticide doesn't leach into the waterways and leach into the soil. So that's the most easiest example I can give about ecological farming. But I also practice other techniques 
like no till. So I don't till up the land. I really try to keep the carbon in the soil and sequester that carbon within the roots of plants like perennials. I oftentimes like to do cover cropping. I try to use as little fertilizer as possible as store-bought. Instead, I use things that are naturally occurring in nature like rye or oats. And I plant that in the fall and I let that die back in the winter to allow some nitrogen to go back into the soil. So really ecological farming for Sundance Harvest is farming as close to nature as possible. And also for respecting the way that things are going to naturally go and actually grow. Fantastic. What a balance between the humanities and science. So humanities living sort of almost poetically at, at one with nature and uh, the creativity involved in solving problems like finding that ballerina tool as a deterrent. And then the science of it is that it actually works and you do harvest a crop. And it's great that you provide exposure and opportunity for so many others to be able to learn all that you've probably gained hard won. Lots of mistakes or lots of um, challenges to overcome. And so you can help others not make those same mistakes. So you had mentioned that the urban farm goes all year round and how do you achieve this? So I'm fairly lucky that I kept my eyes open for greenhouses and at Downsview Park I have two greenhouses both around 2,000 square feet each and they're heated so I actually get to grow many lovely crops in the winter time that otherwise I would not at all be able to grow so things like head lettuce which is really tender and other things like Swiss chard and kale and in the off season, when I'm not really utilizing the greenhouses as much, I tend to grow peppers and tomatoes because they grow really amazing in the greenhouse structures and they can grow up to you know 15 feet tall, the tomatoes. So I get to trellis them all the way up and then I get my tall friends to come by and help harvest. <laughs> That's fantastic. You never would have thought I, I can barely get a pepper to grow. It's one of the things I'm not successful with and you've got 15 foot tomatoes. Um, how incredible. That's really got the green thumb and uh, they're obviously happy where they're living. And certainly people, there's a demand for the produce year round and people know how to access either through your website or for, from an existing relationship. And I'm wondering, Shane, sounds like a lot of work. I'm wondering what a typical day is like at Sundance Harvest. Yeah, so we have staff at Sundance Harvest, so most of the time the staff is going to be there. But the typical day is we either are focusing on harvesting or field prep. So for harvesting, it's really fun because we get to put on tunes and pick the tomatoes and have the tomatoes for lunch and eat them. So a typical harvest day would be we get there probably around, you know, 10 or 9, depending on how we're feeling. We get our harvest buckets and we get our harvest jackets on, depending on what we're picking. We go into the greenhouses, we put some music on and we just pick all the tomatoes we can. Tomatoes, for example, I usually get around 250 to 300 pounds a week. So that's a lot of tomatoes and that can usually take five hours to pick because we have to be delicate with them and we have to make sure we harvest them right and we cool them right and that by the end of the day if we have extra time what we often do is we go on the field we see if things need some um, fixing or weeding but that's basically what we would do on a harvesting day. So lots of fun with the music and you're with other people. I'm sure there's lots to laugh about and experiences to reflect on in, when you're doing it. I think that is sounds like a lot of work, but a great way to make it more fun. And I'm impressed you had said, how many pounds of tomatoes would you get in a harvest? In the summer, we usually get 250 pounds to 300 pounds per a 2,000 square feet greenhouse. Wow, that's quite a yield. Just before break, uh, Cheyenne, I noticed that you sit on the board of the Ontario Farm Union as a youth advisor. And why do you think this role is important? Um, I think it's important because when we're thinking about farming and agriculture, 
youth are the future without actually having youth engaged and interested in having some independence within the system of agriculture we're not going to get a lot of them interested in the long term so i feel like the role is very important because as a someone who's just turned 24 i feel like i can relate very well to what a lot of youth are thinking especially because i run the program growing in the margins where i teach tens and tens of youth each year how to farm i get to hear what their grievances are what their hopes are what their solutions are so i think more often than not youth should be given a larger role in decision making especially within agriculture because we're ultimately going to be deciding what our futures are like right and important that people have a say in the flourishing food system that they eat in you had talked about that uh, people that you work with have high hopes what are some of the highest hopes that youth that you work with have for uh, either your program or for their futures in agriculture or food um i would say for like the program the biggest hope is to have their own career so to be able to be an entrepreneur food entrepreneur even do herbalism and be able to make their own schedule and make their own kind of opportunities and a lot of them actually succeed uh, a really great example is luck bug farm in guelph alia fraser she is running this farm she was my student in the fall and she's flourishing right now and she has a market garden and she just had her seedling sale so that's a good example of someone who's actively running their own farm and regarding a solution and dreams and aspirations as a whole i've been noticing the biggest thing that people have been wanting is a land linking program because obviously the costs of land are so prohibitive. And a lot of the youth are interested in land linking programs because they can also have that issue of not being able to afford land. And I think that something I might be pushing in the future, hopefully with the National Farmers Union, is to have more um, opportunities for land linking workshops or an actual program that's designated. So many youth feel emboldened and ready to get into agriculture instead of feeling a bit disenfranchised because they're simply not affordable land or they're having issues finding leases for long term. I know the the price of land is a concern for many, many types of farmers and also homeowners these days. So the price of land is something that we all need to keep top of mind. Some listeners may not be familiar with the term land linking. Can you tell us what that is, Cheyenne? For uh, young agrarians in BC, they have a land linking program and their program is has been around for a while. And basically what land linking is, is there's someone who's a land holder and there's someone who's looking for land, so a land seeker. So that could be a farmer, uh, a rancher, someone who would like to do um, an agrarian project on that piece of land. So oftentimes there's little communication between the two because maybe one is savvy on social media and the other one likes, you know, newspaper ads, right? And a land linking program seeks to see the middle ground between both of them and connect these two people who probably would make a really nice bond so basically land linking is taking both parties and ensuring that they can find matches with each other based on of what they're interested in. Okay, great. So something definitely to continue to look into and definitely sounds like there's great partnerships out there to be had. So wonderful thing to include. Thank you very much for that. After this break, we'll hear more from Cheyenne Sundance, Farm Director of Sundance Harvest. We'll share her expertise in creating awareness and designing urban agriculture space in a flourishing food system. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm 
I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. The show today is part of the monthly series, City Farming, in which we discuss home growing and urban agriculture as ways to contribute to a flourishing food system. We're speaking with Cheyenne Sundance, farm director at Sundance Harvest, about planning and space design. Cheyenne, you developed Sundance Harvest from the ground up. What were some of your first planning steps? The first thing I got to decide is, do I want to farm in an urban setting or rural setting? And the biggest push for me to farm in the urban setting was one, I can't drive because I have a disability that doesn't allow me to drive. And then two, there was such a demand I noticed in the urban sector for produce that was grown so close to home in a way that people felt really comfortable with. So like ecological growing and organic growing, uh, doing it in a way that actually created jobs that wasn't just using unpaid internships. So I really wanted to start something new and something fresh. So that was like first point of Uh, my plan. And then after that, I was thinking, well, where do I go? And I found out that Downsview Park had empty leases for these greenhouses. So I approached and I said, I would like a greenhouse. And of course, it took months and months to kind of get the lease together. And I ended up getting a lease. And from there, I've just expanded. After that point, I kind of decided, well, urban farming is the place to be because I saw that my produce was getting sold out at markets within hours. And I was able to hire more and more staff. So to create more jobs for the youth who actually took growing in the margins, they would actually work for Sundance Harvest. And having a greenhouse was probably the biggest thing that made a change for my business because in the summertime as a farmer, you're competing with everyone, but it's really hard to grow in January when it's minus 15. That's really where greenhouses come in because you have no competition. And I feel like that's a really big untapped market in food and growing human food for the future is utilizing greenhouses or even unheated greenhouses. Uh, because you can grow so much food and there's such a demand in the city for nice local organic vegetables in the winter. So the first steps really are being really clear on your purpose, why it is that you want to farm, what kind of farming do you want to engage in, and then trying to find the best sort of space available. So you had said greenhouse and in the city and really trying to do some of that location planning as you start to design urban agriculture space. And then moving into feasibility, what's actually there, what can you afford? Other listeners who are either participating in urban agriculture or wanna start something, will have to think about these pieces as they uh, try to design space. And I would say if someone's thinking about getting into greenhouses or farming and they have an opportunity to lease a greenhouse, I highly recommend that because greenhouses are a very, very expensive thing. And for me to be able to just lease it allowed me to have very little overhead to start. And that's really why Sundance Harvest is growing so rapidly is because I got to lease and I didn't have to sink you know, $50,000 into a greenhouse structure and then be so behind to get my business where it should be. So whether that's a community group wanting to start an urban farm, whether that's a Um, individual like yourself that is listening in and and thinks this is a fantastic idea and wants to give it a go is really watching that overhead and those capital investments going in. And as you said, if it costs you 50,000 to put up a greenhouse, that's a lot of vegetables to sell to make that money back and not incur too much interest. Whereas leasing is a great way to enter. That's a, a really great idea in terms of options getting in. So are there particular materials or building features that you look for that will help you sustain this ecological perspective in your greenhouses? So for the greenhouses, the biggest thing I really think about is how to keep the soil alive. Some structures in greenhouses, uh, people have metal um, metal planters, for example, but it heats up so fast. So I often use natural lumber and with the natural lumber, I find that it can breathe very well. Um, And then, of course, I always supplement my soil with lots of organic compost and worm compost. 
outside on the fields though, the key thing that has actually allowed me to expand rapidly is surprisingly using landscape fabric. And landscape fabric is a very interesting, isn't a controversial topic because of the petroleum used to actually produce that landscape fabric. But if someone is farming in uh, an area that's full of thistles like me, I have so many thistles on the farm, um, you have a very hard time to justify the labor to pull up one thistle by one thistle and get the roots out. And instead, I, I use this landscape fabric, which can last for 10 years. And that way, I actually don't have to use weed killer, use pesticides. I don't have to till. And I can allow the soil to remain alive and the earthworms to remain unharmed by simply putting a fabric over the soil. I would say landscape fabric is probably the best tool I have ecologically, even though when you're really thinking about it, how it's made, it's a bit of a tricky way to accept, uh, but it allows me to not till, not use pesticides as much, and also not spray any weed killer. Really interesting that there's always this research and this balancing that probably one approach is not perfect, that there's some negotiation that has to happen. So as people are designing their urban agriculture spaces, really to think about all of a dashboard of factors, not just one thing and to really do your research. Great, great tip. So once you have your space and everything's in place uh, funding wise, and if there are city approvals to get, how did you actually decide how to organize the layout? what gets planted where? Yeah, so the first thing I looked at is profitability because I had to pay a lease that's market rate in the city. Um, I needed to have crops that could yield a profit. I wasn't gonna grow watermelons in the greenhouse because per square foot, that's like one plant. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided to grow things like tomatoes, cucumbers and peppers, which all yield a lot per square foot. I can keep inside the greenhouses for the entire summer. and they're fairly easy to grow besides the very beginning stage of growing them as a seedling. And the outside, the planning for outside, since I knew that a field has way more variables. In a greenhouse, you get to control the heat, the temperature, the humidity, everything. A field, you control nothing. Mother Nature is totally um, doing whatever she wants. So for the field crops, I, cho I choose crops that maybe aren't as profitable. So I grow lots of squash, lots of pumpkins, and then I switch over from squash and pumpkins in September to grow carrots, beets, and radish. And all of these crops are actually stored in my cold storage. And I sell them throughout the entire winter all the way up until April. So really that's kind of the way I organize and I plan. And one of my greenhouses have all my, my supplies to pack the orders and the produce. And then the other greenhouse is simply designated strictly for growing. Really, really smart. There's a strategy to it. It's not just a, um, a dream of being able to start an urban farm, um, find the space, find the funding, find the feasibility. But really, once you get all of those things in place, really being strategic, understanding plants, understanding conditions. Are there any mistakes, Cheyenne, that you made in your layout that you would offer listeners advice on? Hmm, yeah. So the, my first year, I didn't know much about greenhouse farming. Um, and I decided, okay, I'm going to direct seed lettuce. And in greenhouses in January, February, it gets extremely humid because it's very cloudy and it's written, the snow kind of sits around the base of the greenhouse. So it got really humid. And what often happens when it's cold and humid is aphids can come. So my entire crop, my first winter in the greenhouse was wiped out by aphids because I didn't know that aphids love humidity. So now what I do is actually, I don't direct sow baby greens, I grow head lettuce because head lettuce I can space out um, eight inches apart each way. And that way I can have lots of airflow. And I also make sure I heat the greenhouse to about 20 degrees Celsius to ensure that there's not stagnant humidity. 
So really understanding, as you said, what not, not just the plant, but other factors like pests that, that need to go into the planning and the success. What are some of the features that you love the most about your ecological farm? My favorite feature is that with the field crops, I plant a lot of flowers in between the rows. And I plant flowers because I, a lot of the natural predators we have, like ladybugs, for example, they love flowers that are native flowers that are heavy with pollen because it helps feed them. And they can also get that energy to reproduce and, and eat the aphids, for example. So I really like the aspect that I use flowers in both a way that's beautiful and in a way that can help me have higher yields and a better farm. You get it all, utility and beauty. It's a rare combo. And I wish we had more time to talk, Shia, and I'd, I'd talk to you all day long. Is there a final message that you want to share with listeners about ecological urban farming or creating awareness? Um, you can just start small. Even if you have a balcony, for example, you can start small by growing some herbs, um, some lettuce, and really just try to grow what you really like. And if you're starting a business with it, I would say start in the off season. The best way to start an urban farm isn't right in the spring or in the summer. It's actually in the fall because you get to take a bit of time to design your farm. Um, you also get to have the winter to think about your crop plan. So I would say start small. And if you're going to start a business, maybe start your business in fall. Really, really good idea. A lot of planning, a lot of strategy, a lot of skill and technique. And, and wow, what a wealth of information that you are. Cheyenne, our conversation has left me very hopeful that positive change is starting to occur. And I'm really happy to hear your story and your many successes. Thank you very much for sharing your ideas and passion today. Thanks for having me. It's been a sincere pleasure. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Cheyenne Sundance, Farm Director at Sundance Harvest. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, what possibilities do you see for urban agriculture? Something to do, look into the urban agriculture initiatives that exist in your area to see what members of your community are doing. Next week on the show, we return to the series Back to the Future. We'll feature part two with Darina Allen, celebrated author and owner of Ballymolo Cookery School in County Cork, Ireland. We'll discuss forgotten skills in home cooking. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.